There are business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're elevating their businesses, teams, and themselves to add more value. And so can you. Welcome to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. If you were looking for ways to elevate success while contributing to a better world, you'll want to listen in for the next hour. Now here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper and a big welcome to the Business Elevation Show on Voice America. It's great to be back again uh, for yet another wonderful week. Um, Today, we've got an amazing uh, guest who's joining us for the second time, Chris Putnam-Walkerley. And we're going to talk about delusional altruism. Um, But wherever you are in the world, I do hope that you are keeping your spirits up. Um, I think it was Jeff, Dr. Jeff Crippen who told us a few weeks ago uh, that... um, you, you live on average about nine years to 10 years plus um, if you have an optimistic mind. So I've, I'm going to remember that. Then if you are, if you are neg- if you're negative and pessimistic. So I think um, we'll bear that in mind because this show is all about, it's about optimism. It's about uh, working positively towards a better world. It's about being a better leader, um, kindness, caring. That's what we care about. Uh, and that we're doing work that really does contribute uh, to uh, a better a better, a better world rather than um, have a negative impact on it. So um, welcome again to the Business Elevation Show. And today we're going to talk about the, well, I think it's a fantastically positive subject because we're going to talk today about some um, philanthropy. And uh, are you or your business philanthropic or would you like to be? That's the question we want to pose today and try and really understand. And I'm getting a real sense, actually, on, on Friday I was asked, would I... Would I consider doing an, an event and, and having conversations with uh, with clients about altruism, um, that people out there are caring, they're realizing that right now that uh, there are people out there who are a lot um, struggling around the world with the world economic situation and uh, global warming, et cetera, et cetera, and people are wondering how can they help. And But the, the challenge with it, though, is that you have to often overcome some quite deceptive and illogical thoughts that can hinder your impact and distrust when you're giving. So my guest today, Chris Putnam-Walkerley, is a trusted advisor to the world's leading philanthropists. And for over 20 years, ultra-high net worth donors, foundations, Fortune 500 companies, celebrity activists, and wealth advisors have sought of advice to transform their giving and literally catapult their impact. And I love that word, word impact because impact to me is so important right now. And I, I see it as who we're being and what we're doing. As a philanthropy advisor, speaker and award-winning author, she's helped hundreds of philanthropists strategically allocate over half a billion dollars in grants and gifts. Um, she's won some um, amazing accolades in, and uh, has worked with some amazing organizations. Um, and I can't think of anybody in the world to talk about this subject right now who is more experienced in doing so. And we're going to discuss today her latest book, which is called Delusional Altruism, Why Philanthropists Fail to Achieve Change and What They Can Do to Transform Giving. So let's today, let's um, take a notepad out if you're interested in this and uh, make a few notes and see if you can transform your impact from your giving. A big welcome to Chris Putnam-Walkley. Thank you, Chris. It's great to be here. You're very welcome. So um, remind us, Chris, whereabouts in the world you are 
Where, where do you, where's home? I am in the US. I'm in Cleveland, Ohio. So in between New York and Chicago. So it's that, it's that area that gets the most extreme weather situation. Yeah, we, we're getting a lot of snow right now. Not too bad. We're right under the Great Lakes, uh, not too far from Toronto, actually. And so on, but I guess you're used to lots of snow in the winter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and wrapping up and then lots of sunshine in the summer, probably. Exactly. <laughs> So, so we lasted our interview. I can't quite believe this, but we, you, it's the second time you've been on the show and I reached out to you because I wanted to talk to you again because I just think this topic is such an important one. Um, but incredibly, you were last on the show in November 2015, so that's mm-hmm. well over eight years ago. Um, so, so what's been happening to you since our last interview? <laughs> you asked that question. It's hysterical. There's so much that's been going on, right? Uh, and it's quite frankly hard to remember anything before COVID happened. But it is. eight years ago, you know, my business really has transformed in the sense that, you know, I've been consulting and advising philanthropists for over 20 years, but I made a pretty big shift right before our last conversation. And that was to share a lot of my knowledge and content through articles and you know newsletters, podcasts, webinars, two books. Um, I think I started my newsletter shortly before we spoke, and I've now I think I'm on the 325th newsletter. Um, you know, during COVID, I think I was on 50 podcast interview, you know, podcasts like this. Uh, I've written two books. And, um, you know, I've also shifted my business quite a bit. Uh, You know, as I mentioned, I've always been consulting to various funders, but have taken on more roles as a trusted advisor to uh, high net worth donors and CEOs of foundations and corporate giving programs and do a lot of, um, you know, advising and coaching as well as strategy development and Mm -hmm. helping funders get greater clarity on what they're trying to accomplish and how best to accomplish it. And how do you how do you manage all that? Because you've got a, you've got quite a, a busy family life. <laughs> I do. We have five <laughs> kids, so they were five. My twins were five years old uh, when we last spoke, and now they're thirteen. Wow! So that's wow. a fun age. And then our oldest just turned thirty-one, actually. So there's a lot going on. Crikey! Yeah, so it keeps keeps life interesting. I would imagine. <laughs> Lots of coffee. That's how it's powered by caffeine. <laughs> I have one thirteen year old and a seventeen year old, nearly, and uh, that's with with a, with a, a puppy. That seems a busy life. Mm-hmm. It is. <laughs> Any kids? That's, is a, busy that's life. a breeze for you. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you, how do you think then over this this strange period? And just interesting, you saying that you know we can't hard to remember anything before pandemic because it, it is a bit of a blur isn't it i was trying to remind myself just now uh, when you know when the pandemic lockdowns were because it's still it's it's almost like some of that has been erased from my brain i don't know whether it was the stress of it or the unusual nature of it but through that this this strange period now we're in a period of you know economic challenges and we've just you know this last week a couple of banks are really struggling and People we hear about the U.S. economy and you'll be hearing about the U.K. economy and Europe over where you are. And I wonder, you know, in these times of uh, shift and change, how's the attitude towards giving also shifted, do you think? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, there's been a lot of change and fluctuation in, in giving, you know, during COVID. I would say in 2020, you know, the first year of COVID, it, there certainly was a 
one of the challenges on the negative side was a decrease overall in giving. Um, and it really correlates to the size of nonprofit organizations, interestingly. So the smaller the nonprofit, the less funding received um, by those organizations, the larger the nonprofit, the, they, they still receive less, but not as less, right? So yeah. uh, organizations, at least in the US with budgets like under $100,000 um, saw upwards of a 45% decline in giving in 2020, whereas the much larger organizations like $10 million annual budgets and higher still saw a decline, but it was more like 15%. And then, you know, of course, within that, there's different, there's different types of organizations that experienced uh, that uh, giving differently. So for example, you know, a lot of the arts organizations, theaters, nonprofits that require their revenue comes from like human beings walking in the door and paying a ticket fee or something. Obviously they lost revenue because people weren't allowed to attend. Uh, whereas of course, a lot of the health organizations, you know, or food pantries, food banks, things of that nature, you know, received a lot more donations. So it depended a little bit on the nature, but you know, another shift that I saw that was very promising during COVID was there was a lot more unrestricted donations being made. Meaning like when you give money to an organization, oftentimes you're restricting the use of that funding. It's supposed to go to buy the food to give away to the, at the food pantry, or it's supposed to be used for a specific kind of program or service. Um, and unrestricted giving means basically you're giving the money to a nonprofit and you're saying, hey, nonprofit leader, like I trust you to make the decision of how best to spend the money depending on what's going on and what you need right now and what your, um, you know, your customers, your clients need. So during COVID, uh, a lot of funders removed the restrictions on their money, even if they'd already given a grant to a nonprofit for a specific purpose for domestic violence, shelter services, or mental health treatment, or, you know, whatever it was, they basically said to the nonprofit, hey, you know, clearly things have just changed. We're in the middle of a global pandemic crisis use that money however you want. If you just need to keep people paid or keep the doors open or change your services around dramatically because of what's going on, we trust you to do that. And so there was a lot of increase among foundations and companies uh, to kind of shift their giving. And I think that's really positive. Yeah, excellent. I said, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really interesting. I think there is a lot of concern we're seeing over here for, you know, us, things like ta taxes are going up, inflation's going up massively, uh, and there are more and more people struggling or are going to continuously um, struggle. I think I was just looking at something today, which was showing up the last 15 years, actually our standard of living has been falling. Um, and that means that more and more people need help. Mm -hmm. um, and do you, do you think this is getting to those people who have, have the money this, this need to help? Um, or do you think they're also thinking about how do they protect their assets? Mm -hmm. And and also, will they have will they have the money available to buy things cheap when everything starts to slide? <laughs> <laughs> well, sure. I mean, I think it's human nature to, you know, quite frankly, be fearful. And one of the problems in philanthropy that I talk about in my book, Delusional Altruism, is fear and how fear often holds back funders and donors from from giving. And I think, you know, certainly with the tumultuous nature of the economy and markets over the past three years, and, you know, currently, 
it does cause some funders and donors to say, well, hey, maybe I'm not going to give as much. I'm not quite sure. I need to take care of myself first before I give to others. Um, but at the same time, there's a lot of donors who have the opposite reaction, are, you know, who see themselves as part of a global landscape and the interconnectedness of yes. humanity and, you know, want to take those opportunities to do more, to give back. And also, you know, philanthropy is not just giving money. It's also donating your time, your talents. Um, it's it's making an introduction to somebody who, you know, could benefit from the support or, uh, you know, during COVID, um, you know, a lot of organizations were, you know, nonprofits were scrambling to figure out how to obtain loans from the government and, you know, simply intro introducing a nonprofit leader to your banker in those instances often proved tremendously helpful because, you know, suddenly the nonprofit leader had a relationship with someone who could help them access some of that funding to support them. And uh, that didn't require any money on the part of the donor. It was a, you know, a phone call or an email to make an introduction. So I think it's also important to think about uh, all of our assets we have as people or as companies or as organizations and all that we can give beyond um, the money. I completely agree. And you, you mentioned there earlier that you'd, you'd written 300 newsletters um, you know, designed to help. I think I did 34 podcasts during, no, so uh, free webinars during the pandemic from home. And then um, my show is, is my way of being philanthropical, really. I don't ask for anything in return. Um, but we've, for 12 years, we've been hopefully trying to help the world be a better place. And I really get that about introducing people. I just love that when you introduce people and something magic happens out of it. Um, mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I think that's a great way to see, um, look, at, look at what you can do as an individual. How could you give? Could you start a podcast? Could you um, talk about something in a free newsletter that helps people as well as if you don't mm -hmm. have the cash to be able to, to give? So what are the kinds of people that give regularly from your experience? Who are they? Well, you know, everyone, really. I mean, if you think about it, you know, if you think about what is a philanthropist, it sounds like this kind of highfalutin, you know, term that's only designated for Bill Gates and Mackenzie Scott and the yeah, wealthiest. Right, it does, yeah. It's everybody. You know, it's people who, um, you know, care about others. It's people who donate, who give, you know, weekly to their church or uh, to their kid's school or volunteer at their kid's school. It's people who serve on boards of nonprofit organizations um, who give. And, you know, I think, you know, studies have shown that even among the lower income people often give a higher percentage of their income to others. And so I think, you know, one of the misconceptions is that philanthropy is for people who have more money than me, when in reality, we all have been, you know, touched by experiences if it's your kid has a disability or your parent died of a particular illness or, you know, something has happened to you, or you you've, your community had a natural disaster. You know, we all have experiences that are meaningful and important to us. And we want to not just help the people impacted by it or our own family, but, you know, we want to give back and help others. Yeah. Yeah. I, th I think it's great to share that wider context because there's probably a lot of people there's mm -hmm. a lot of people, as you say, who give enormous amounts of time uh, and they wouldn't consider themselves that being a, a part of that, as you say, highfalutin word, but actually they are, you know, they are philanthropic and mm -hmm. kind 
So we've got a couple of minutes to commercial break. What made you write Delusional Altruism? Well, one question that I ask all my clients is, if you could only accomplish one thing in the next year, but it would be your legacy, it would be your legacy at your organization, it would be your legacy in your philanthropy, but you could only accomplish one thing, what would that one thing be? Yeah. And it's a great question because it really gets to the heart of what's most important. Yeah. And I simply asked myself that question one day <laughs> and immediately I said, I have to write this book because if I could only do one thing to help philanthropists and funders around the world, if I could capture the insight that I've gained and help them learn how to, as we'll talk about, get out of their own way and have a more greater and more transformational impact, then to me, it was, I could put it in this book and it'll exist in the yeah. world. Unless, of course, it's banned if uh, Governor DeSantis in Florida continues upon his book banning adventures oh, <laughs> and right. becomes okay. president. <laughs> we have a whole book banning problem here in the U.S. Oh, I didn't know about that. <laughs> I'll, I'll talk about that in the break <laughs> a bit more afterwards well after after we're going to go to commercial break now anyway but in a, in a couple of minutes we will uh we'll be back again and uh we'll, we'll find out a little bit more about um about the book and uh why delusional altruism is so important and start to look at some of the key delusions that people have before we then go into uh, the kind of solutions so we're back again with you in just a couple of minutes do join us after the break Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program one-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. Are you a business owner, 1099 contractor, part-time employee, or volunteer who needs group health coverage you can actually afford? Do you know a nonprofit who would benefit from unlimited zero-cost funding? How about cost reduction, school safety, mental health wellness, and more? All these and more are fair game on finding certainty. If you want more certainty in your own life, you are not alone. Join us each Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Find your own brand of certainty and realize your personal American dream with Finding Certainty, hosted by Patrick Lang. Let's unwrap the certainty experience together. We all hear about information security, identity, and privacy threats. The more technology becomes part of our lives, with more data created to provide insights about our lives, the more concerned we need to be. That's why it's important to tune in to Data Security and Privacy with The Privacy Professor. Host Rebecca Harold is an internationally recognized expert in these areas. Rebecca and her guests will let you know how to keep your business and personal data safe. Listen live the first Saturday of each month at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. 
You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm back with Chris Putnam Walkerley, and we're talking about delusional altruism. Um, so tell us a little bit about you know, the word delusional and then also why you split the book into delusional altruism and then transformational giving. Yes. So it's a great question. After advising, you know, philanthropists, leaders of foundations, corporate giving programs for over two decades, I realized, you know, I saw a lot of patterns and realized that oftentimes funders are genuine in their altruism, completely want to make a difference, change the world, help their communities, but were getting in their own way. And they were kind of holding on to these misguided beliefs and illogical thoughts that were preventing them from having the impact that they were seeking, and they often didn't recognize it. And so by delusional, I don't mean crazy. I mean, you know, just being held back by these misguided beliefs. And so I wanted to write the book to help people recognize how that's happening. So the first half of the book is all about delusional altruism and different types of delusions that funders experience so that they could see, you know, how this happens. And it's mistakes that all of us may make. I mean, I, I make these mistakes. Um, and then the second half of the book is really what to do differently. And that's designed to offer very practical ideas, steps, questions, guidance, to help funders make the changes that they want to make. Um, because I really believe that, you know, people want to do the right thing. And like all of us, you know, we have a lot to learn and just kind mm. of need to be pointed in the right direction sometimes. Yeah. yeah so give, give us some examples of some of the key delusions that you've identified. Yes. Well, one of them, and I think maybe the biggest one is this, what I call a scarcity mindset. And so the scarcity mindset, I think really holds back most funders. And what I mean by that is, a misguided belief that by maintaining a Spartan operation, by not investing in yourself or really sufficiently investing in, you know, the nonprofit, nonprofit organizations you're supporting, that somehow it, you believe that therefore you're, you're creating bigger impact in the community. And so this shows up in a lot of different ways with, with giving money to nonprofits. It shows up by giving very small amounts, you know, giving, not giving enough to the nonprofit that they actually need to function. Yeah. Um, or it's insisting that, you know, your grant is to help the program, but it can't be used to fund personnel. Yeah. So quite literally, like you fund a tutoring program, but you won't allow the, the money to fund the actual tutors. Yeah. <laughs> or you fund, you know, uh, mental health treatment services, but you don't fund the social workers or the mental health providers, because somehow that's bad because that's overhead. And, but it, it's delusional because how on earth do you expect yeah. anyone to receive mental health services if there's not a human being who's trained and providing them to you? Or how do you expect the kids to be tutored without the actual tutors? And so um, that's an example. Also, you know, just recognizing that nonprofits, you know, these are nonprofit organizations. They are Companies, they're just not-for-profit companies, but they need everything that a business needs, right? They need yeah. top talent. They need good infrastructure. They need the appropriate technology. They need an excellent board of directors, good financial management systems, 
the ability to fundraise effectively, communications uh, abilities, the ability to evaluate and assess themselves so they can learn how to make improvements, right? They need all of that. But again, all of that is often considered bad or overhead or not necessary and like not helping the people, the nonprofits trying to help. But just like any business, you know, to, to deliver the widgets and sell whatever it is you're selling, you know, you need your staff need computers and, you know, you need to invest in research and development and you need to retain your talent, et cetera, et cetera. So I think too often, you know, donors will have an approach of like, you know, well, you know, I'll give to this organization because only one cent on every dollar invested goes to overhead. And to me, that's delusional because, you know, if you really believe in an organization and you know that they're doing really good work, don't you want them to be successful? And to be successful, they need to be the strongest organization they can be. And to be strong, you need to really invest in their organizational capacity, their leadership, their infrastructure, as well as the program delivery of whatever it is that that nonprofit is trying to do. So that's one of the delusions, but, but also that scarcity mindset, Chris, applies to the funders themselves. So oftentimes donors, you know, the the wealthiest people often feel guilty that they have all this money and other people don't. And so they hesitate to actually invest in themselves, meaning getting good advising or coaching or uh, learning or, you know, investing in some, conducting some research to kind of learn about the needs in their community because they think that somehow that's bad. They're not supposed to give to themselves because they're already wealthy. And and so all the money is supposed to go out the door. And that seems noble, but I think it's really delusional because again, in order for you to have the greatest impact as a philanthropist or as a family foundation or as a corporate foundation, then you need to to be the best philanthropist that you can be, right? You need the knowledge, the insight, Uh, You need the guidance and the advising to help you make the right decisions so so that you can have a greater impact. And so to me, that scarcity mindset, you know, it pops up all the time. I I think those are absolutely fascinating because you're right. It is, it is, we often think with our giving, actually we do want, we want it to go to the ground. We want to get to go to the people, but you're right. It does need infrastructure. It does need a business, the business to run effectively. It needs good people. I was having an interest. I was having this conversation with my mother just about a, a week or two ago because um, my, my father died in a hospice that supported him wonderfully when he, he was very fortunate to end up in there about five years ago. And um, my mother had uh, had raised money and given money to the hospice, but she just discovered that the, the person who ran the hospice um, earned a quarter of a million pounds a year. It's not a particularly big hospice. hospice and that suddenly really kind of turned her off. Um, so I did, I, and I did kind of wonder, it's really sort of troubled me a little bit because, um, they do do, they do do great work. Um, but, at, um, and, and, about, and I also would probably have thought in a, in an organization of a similar scale in the private sector, that's pretty well paid still. <laughs> um, so I suppose there's something about with some of these organizations to take care, I guess, I guess it's a fine line. There is, but I think, and you know, I don't know about the particular hospice, so that could be completely an overly high paid salary compared to other people or the size of the organization. But here's another way to think about it. Look, in this kind of scenario, imagine you have one um, 
nonprofit leader who is making, let's say, $250,000 or pounds a year, uh, but is able to raise, let's say, $5 million mm. pounds annually. Or, and you have another one who makes 500000 a year, but is able to raise $50 million for the organization. What's better in terms of salary? Like, is it better to have the lower paid salary and then get less revenue to the organization? Mm. Or is it better to spend $500,000 on that person, which seems extraordinarily high, but the, but the payoff, the return on investment is they're able to raise a lot more money. Yeah. And to me, I think it's worth paying the person a lot more if, the, if they're actually able to deliver because that ultimately will improve the, the hospice or the organization. So I do think it's, um, you know, it's not always like the kind of assumption of the knee jerk reaction is like nonprofit leaders should make very little money, you know, and if you make a lot of money, you're, you're somehow bad. Well, I think it's really, you got to really think about what is that organization or that person able to accomplish and deliver toward the mission of the nonprofit and take that into consideration. Yeah. Makes, makes sense. With um. How much do you think? Do you have a, do you have a, any sort of view on how much people should be giving as a percentage of their income? Because because uh, I think there's I mean one of the questions when I've interviewed financial advisors on this show with expertise is you know I love to ask is you know how much money is enough? Mm-hmm. How, how much do we really need? And no one no one <laughs> can ever answer that. That's always the difficult one. You know I think probably you. Mm-hmm. Whatever whatever you had, you can feel like you could do with a bit more. But, but, but unless you're you know hyper hyper wealthy but uh, do you have a a view of what's um what's what's the typical percentage people give in the in the u.s or what was it it... yeah i don't have a person i don't have a opinion about what people should do in terms of percent of giving i think it really depends um and i think certainly you know the wealthiest among us should be giving more because they have how much do you really need to live, even if you're giving it, you know, a lot to weigh to your children. And also, you know, I think it's really important to recognize if you're at that high echelon of giving um, among the wealthiest, you know, a lot of, there's, you can do a lot of damage by um, letting your children inherit all of your wealth. Yeah. To damage to your children, because on one hand, you think you're taking care of them, and in some ways, of course, you are financially, but that can cause a lot of problems um, because people feel like, well, even if they are successful, would I have been successful had I not had access to all this money? Yeah. And it can actually cause a lot of, you know, uh, feelings of kind of sadness or feeling like a fraud. And so I think, you know, I think especially as we have a coming, you know, where we're in the middle of it, actually, like an interge- intergenerational transfer of wealth globally, um, where people of wealth are going to be passing on or are dying, and then that wealth transfer is happening, there's a huge opportunity uh, to give back to philanthropy and to do that effectively, both as the donor, as you know, part of their plan giving, to commit some of those resources toward charitable purposes, but also to support, if, if, they're, if they're philanthropic, to encourage their children often adult children at this point, to be philanthropic as well, either by engaging them in their philanthropy or by encouraging those adult children to be philanthropic in their own right, to start a donor advised fund or start a family foundation 
or simply, you know, volunteer. So I think there's a lot of opportunity right now to really encourage effective philanthropy um, and kind of multi-generational philanthropy. Yeah. It's quite a maturity comes with having money really, isn't that to also end up being a, a kind balanced person too. And, mm-hmm. and uh, in the challenge also is um, making sure, you're, sure you're, your children don't feel entitled and, and have, have achieved something in their lives. It's really, really a difficult, a difficult place to navigate. Um, it's a difficult place to navigate. Um, I'm quite pleased that I grew up. I, I was brought up with not an awful lot, really, with a <laughs> very modest and had to work. <laughs> so t- tell us um, a little bit about um, transformational giving then. And what are the sort of questions that we, we should ask ourselves? Yeah, well, you know, one of the delusions I mentioned is um, asking the wrong questions or starting with the wrong questions. And so I I start the next section of the book with what are the right questions to ask? And one of the key challenges is um, one of the delusions is starting with the question, how? How should we do something without starting first with the question, what? What are we trying to accomplish? Yeah. And so to me, it seems kind of obvious, I guess, but too often funders mix this up, right? And it's really another way to think about it is what's our strategy? You know, what are we trying to accomplish with our philanthropic giving? What kind of philanthropic company do we want to become or philanthropic family do we want to become? What impact do we want to have in the next year on whatever issue or cause we care about? And only only, um, by having clarity on that, the what or your strategy, can you possibly determine the how or your tactics? Hmm. Because there's all kinds of ways to do things, right? But it's not till you're clear on what your objectives are that you can decide um, how best to do it. And I think too often funders jump into the how. They jump into the, well, there's this local initiative on eliminating lead paint in our community. Like we're going to support that or, um, you know, we need to increase our communication about a particular issue. So should we be on TikTok or should we be on Twitter or Facebook, right? Those are the how, the tactics, right? But it isn't until you're clear on, well, what, what causes do we as a family or company care about? And if lead abatement is not one of them, then we should not be joining this lead abatement initiative, right? Yes. Or what are we trying to communicate? Who needs to know it? And what are we trying to get them to do? That's the what, and then think about, well, what's the best way to communicate with them? It might be phone conversations and not Twitter, right? So I think, um, you know, just those, that's a basic, you know, question that I think helps all funders kind of get on the right path. Yeah, yeah. Is there, is there also a question that we could ask ourselves even before that, which is why? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Why really gets to what is the purpose of, you yeah. know, why am I being philanthropic? Why does our philanthropy exist in the world? And, you know, what's our purpose really of giving? Yeah, because if we understand that, and we can understand that as a family as to what as to why um, that can then fuel us to go, well, actually, what's the best vehicle maybe too? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. So um, good, good. Well, um, I think um, some great, great questions there to ask about what are we trying to accomplish? What's our strategy, the kind of family we want to become, what impact do we want to become? Um, and, and after the break, let's have a, one of the things I noticed, I noticed points I noticed in your book about transformational giving is actually 
you know, we, we want to start to become fast and unstoppable once we're clear on what we want to do. Um, so I'm really interested in looking at that area, maybe some examples that you've got of people who've uh, become fast and unstoppable. Um, I suppose that's rather than the alternative of maybe dithering. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> we'll be back, back again with you in just a couple of minutes to join us after the break. and can't get enough of us follow us on instagram at voice america talk radio and see what we're cooking up for you would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential chris cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the achiever program one-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. Small businesses are in trouble, and it didn't just start with COVID-19. From the recession several years ago to the revolution of e-commerce giants more recently, small businesses are getting hit hard and need to come back. Tune in to Business Buzz and Business Watch. It's two shows in one, hosted by Frank Hellring. We'll help your small business bounce back with best practices, guest experts, and resources that you can use to strengthen your small business. Listen Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific and 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Tune in to the soul of enterprise, business in the knowledge economy with co-hosts Ron Baker and Ed Klass. Ron and Ed will show you how to recognize that wealth is created by intellectual capital. It's all in the possibilities that we can create and that are created for us. These possibilities are destined to be discovered by human imagination and through the service of others, creating a brighter future for all of us. The Soul of Enterprise is heard live every Friday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. A little birdie told me Voice America is on Twitter. Follow us at Voice America TRN. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, it's Chris Cooper. I'm with Chris Putnam-Walkley, and we're talking about her great new book, Delusional Altruism. And uh, before the break, we were talking about some um, questions that you could start with, the what's and the why's, and um, to try and get some clarity about what it is you're going to do, rather than maybe just giving out bits of money piecemeal. So I guess you, you build a strategy, Chris, that you get very, you get very clear about. Um, once, you've got, once you've got a strategy and you're clear on something, um, how do you go and become do it in such a way that you actually start moving quickly? Um, and as in your book, you describe become unstoppable. Yeah, yeah. I think that it's really important for every funder to have a strategy, and that could be if you're a foundation, it could be your strategic plan, uh, or if you're a family, it can be your kind of giving strategy or giving plan. But essentially, it's thinking about, you know, what are you trying to accomplish as a donor, as a giver? 
Uh, and recognizing that strategy has two components, right? Strategy formulation, creating your strategy, and strategy implementation, yeah. actually implementing it. And often as hard as it was to create the strategy, the even harder part is making the darn thing work and yes. uh, implementing <laughs> it. So thinking about, and, and I try to simplify this by asking my clients to think about, you know, what are you trying to accomplish in the next year or two with your philanthropic giving? And then ask, where are you today in those areas? Yeah. And then what's the fastest way to move you from where you are today to where you want to be oh, in yeah. a year or two years? Yeah. And so part of the speed is in how you're de developing and designing and implementing your strategy. Because, you know, let's just say, you know, your answer to that question is, well, a year from now, I want to have a family foundation established and I want to know, you know, our funding areas and our kids involved and we're actually making grants to organizations. Well, where are we today? Well, we, ha we have, you know, technically we have a foundation. We, we, it's been established by our attorneys and it has a name, but we have no idea what we're doing, right? That's where you are. Well, what's the fastest way to get you from where you are today to where you want to be? And I'm actually working with a, a high net worth couple in California on this exact question right now. And so, you know, the fastest way, and I like to focus on what are the three things we're going to do. You know, if you only invested, uh, if you could only accomplish, you know, do one thing to move you from where you are today to where you want to be, what would that one thing be? Or I like to think about what's the 20% of effort that's going to drive the 80% of results. Yeah. And so and it really depends, right, on who you are and what's going on. So in this case, the you know most important things to focus on are clarifying the interests of the donors. You know, what are those two, three, or four issues or causes they care most about? Secondly, identifying nonprofit organizations that are doing good work in those organizations. Yeah. And for them, thirdly, it's you know building relationships with some of those leaders to get to know them a little bit better to decide how to allocate their funding. Like those are the most important three things for them to focus on next. It isn't the only things they have to do, right? They need an investment policy. They need to make sure they have their board of directors. You know, there's other things to do, but focusing on what's the most important things you have to do next, like limiting it to three things and then assigning people to be accountable to that. Who's responsible for each priority, right? And getting people moving quickly on beginning to implement that and checking in regularly every, whatever, two weeks, two months on progress. And then when one of those things is handled, well, what's the next priority that will move us from where we are today to where we want to be? Uh, too often, I think in philanthropy, it's easy to move slowly because there's not a lot of external forces pushing you. You know, there's yeah. not quarterly earnings reports that a company might experience, right? There is very little required uh, legally. And, you know, if you're starting with, we have a lot of money, <laughs> there's mm. often not a lot of urgency yes. you have to kind of create it for yourself. And so I, I do think that philanthropy can move too slowly. I think it sort of moves at the speed of snails and sloths. And, <laughs> you know, the problem with that is you're not having an impact. You know, you're not... Um, you might not be experiencing the joy of giving and you're probably not delivering value on the issues and causes you care about because you're sitting around feeling overwhelmed or not really sure what you're doing because you haven't clarified, you know, the what, what are we trying to accomplish? 
Excellent. So it, so- it sounds like people in this situation need um, need a Chris Putnam Walkerly to to help them along and keep uh, put a little bit of a fire behind their butts um, uh, to keep keep moving. Well, that- that's really true. I mean, it could be me, it could be somebody else, but we all, all of us, we often need somebody outside our own experience to help us see what we're not seeing and to kind of hold our feet to the fire to make sure that we're moving along and to be a sounding board and be the be the one person that they can ask the quote unquote dumb question to, or they can share their frustrations and get good at guidance on how to move forward. And so absolutely. You know, when I facilitate strategic planning with my clients, often there is, you know, a strategy retreat, you know, either in person or on Zoom that kind of culminates the decisions and agreements on the strategy. And I won't let people leave the room until we've identified what are our top, you know, what are your top priorities for implementing this? And naming a human being to be accountable to each of those priorities and picking a date like a week or two later when we're all going to reconvene like a date and a time. And those people who are responsible for each of those priority areas will report back on progress. Even if all that progress is, is like a list of what are the five or 10 things that they need to do next in order to achieve that priority. Because you want people moving quickly. Like you need to build momentum around these things. Otherwise what happens is, Everyone says, this is a great retreat. I'm so excited. This is exciting. And then they go home and then their kids have, you know, problems and then they have, you know, stuff to do. And then they go back to work and then they have emails and stuff on their calendar and they get distracted by all that stuff. Right. But I think what's really important is if you walk out the door and you know what's next, you know what your next steps are and you have time built in and you you know, you're going to be reporting on what you've accomplished it kind of forces you to, you know, pay attention and get focused on what you need to do. Yes. So, yeah, so I think that is a really important role that advisors and consultants um, can play. I'm sure you see that in business as well. Yes. And, um, you know, we, we all need a little bit, a little nudging. We do. I, I was just, um, just in mind, I've got a, a gentleman in a few weeks coming up on the show, Paul Meehan, who built a very successful large insurance company. Uh, and, he he identified was saying to me, and it just made so much sense that you know, the success comes down to um, being able to get the the things that are, are, are non urgent but really important done, uh, and uh, and I think that's really so because it's very easy for those non urgent things to keep slipping and slipping and the time scale slipping. But if you can get them done, they have the ability to make an enormous difference so i think that's what you're, you're you know i'm taking from this conversation too is that uh, having somebody like you to to hold to account to keep helping move along this the, the giving element when a business is busy could feel um or life is busy could easily get shoved to the back background but actually it can be the thing that give you the biggest sense of reward mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. there's the smiles on people's face i've got a few good friends in my network who are kind of do very adventurous things and, you know, building schools in Nepal and all sorts of things. And, you know, um, I was with one last week and he just telling me the joy that he sees in people's faces when the school suddenly got computers or it's got solar panels up in somewhere in uh, the Himalaya, which has never had them before. And, but unless you, unless you get on with it, you're not going to be able to make this contribution in your lifetime. 
you're just passing it on to the next next generation to do it who mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. um have, have probably got a bit of catching up mentally to do it <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly yeah you know it's interesting i think too you know um whatever you're trying to do i mean here's a completely different example but um you know when i was writing the book delusional altruism I, you know, put together the book proposal, I um, sent it to various, you know, uh, acquisitions editors at various publishing companies, and no one was interested, and I got a few rejections. And then I just kind of stopped paying attention to it, and got busy with clients and kids and whatever. And a year later, I thought, huh, that's interesting. I kind of like lost steam. I wonder why. And then I realized I hadn't made getting this book published a priority. Yes. And so I decided, well, what are my top, my top priorities as a business owner, as an entrepreneur and consultant? And I listed them. And one of the top three was get book published. And so, and I built it into my calendar. I mean, I literally every day had a time slot of like work on book, you know, and I didn't even know what I was going to be doing during that time slot, but I just calendared it in. And so I might reach out to another acquisitions editor or follow up with the ones that never responded or rejected me or contacted some colleagues who had published books to get advice, whatever I was doing. But within five weeks of making it a top priority, I had a signed contract with Wiley to publish my book. Mm. And I really believe it's because I sent the intention to make it a top priority, but I actually did it. You know, I executed on that and put effort in every day and so i think you know then that is how you move quickly yes yes so who's your ideal client then my ideal client is any high net worth donor or foundation leader of a private foundation family foundation corporate giving program family office who is giving away probably at least two million dollars or an up you know yeah, two million to two hundred million, which I know seems like a lot, um, and wanting to be wanting to do it better, you know, wanting to um, uh, have a better impact. There often there's some kind of change happening in their organization, and you know they want advice and they want guidance, and uh, I help them through serving as a trusted advisor on retainer, as a, a philanthropic impact strategist. Uh, help them develop their strategy or implement their strategy. But to me, it's all about helping them to increase the clarity and impact and joy of their philanthropic giving. Excellent. And um, if, um, you, you know, I think this is a great, um, a great book for people to read, actually, to help them if they're, if they're, if they're, if they're slow, if they're, if they're not getting the speed that they, that they want uh, to move things forward. Um, I mean, do you have any final messages that you'd like to to leave us with? Well, I have a resource that might be of interest to your listeners. It's a free resource called Eight Things Every Philanthropist Can Do to yep. Change the World, Even When the World Keeps Changing. And uh, you can find it if you just uh, type in eightthings.org. It'll pull up um, a web page and you can just uh, sign up to receive it. It's a completely free resource. But it's really designed to help funders, again, of all sizes and types, to clarify their strategy and move quickly into implementing it. 
um, especially, you know, in, in these turbulent times that we're living in. So again, eight things every philanthropist can do to change the world, even when the world keeps changing. And that is at eightthings.org. Of course, if you're interested in the book, um, you can simply go to delusionalaltruism.com and there's links to purchase it. It's available on Amazon in the US, Amazon in the UK, Amazon in Germany, all over the world. Um, and, you know, I guess my call to action for everyone listening is to really think about themselves and how they give, uh, how they can um, be more effective in terms of the impact that they're having by clarifying what are their goals and their giving objectives. And also um, to think about, you know, what are all the ways that we as people, as families, as companies can give back and support others, not just through monetary donations, but also through, you know, our time, our talents, and um, the connections, our ties to the community. So I just uh, lost my voice then. And, and, and I, I just, I mean, I, I, one thing, we've, I just know we've got a couple of minutes left, but is that uh, being generous and giving actually can also be good business too? Not we oh, absolutely. That. Absolutely. I mean, I think, um, you know, I think it's important for companies, small businesses, large fortune 500 companies to, to be able to give back to the community and to do it for altruistic purposes, you know, genuinely wanting to help the community and help others. But there's so many benefits, um, for a company to be philanthropic in terms of, you know, so many and, and purpose driven because so many consumers today are very keen on ensuring that kind of their, their purpose, their values are aligned with the companies that they're working with and purchasing from buying products from. So that's really important to be very clear about your purpose and how you're giving back to your community. And also, you know, certainly staff turnover and staff retention is a really important issue. And employees want to work for companies where mm -hmm. they believe in they believe the values, they believe in the purpose of the company beyond making money. And so I think when you have opportunities, and there's all kinds of opportunities, even if you're a you know very small business, to engage your employees in giving, helping them to make decisions about you know the causes and organizations that you want to support, offering opportunities for paid you know volunteer days. So people can use their time to give back, encouraging employees to serve on the boards of directors of nonprofit and non-governmental organizations. I think all of that really uh, contributes to feelings of employee engagement and satisfaction and ultimately supports the business in retaining employees and retaining customers. Excellent. I'll just uh, leave, leave the show on this note. Uh, I may have mentioned this before. I'm sure I have on the show before, but uh, I once spoke at an event and three young um, ladies who just finished their degrees came over to me and said, uh, Chris, can you, um, can you recommend any companies we could apply to that will make me or make us better people? So when, mm -hmm. when we're in, the, in, the, um, in, a, in a world looking for loyalty and, and good, good employees and staff, um, perhaps that example you know, it summarizes, it says, you know, people want to join companies today that are going to make them better, um, better human mm -hmm. beings. And uh, mm -hmm. if you mm -hmm. contribute to charity and, and you help and support and you look to be philanthropical in, in any way that you can be, um, often the benefits flow back to you. Chris, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. I loved, loved, um, it's a great top topic and I love your work. Um, you can also find out more at putnam-consulting.com. 
Uh, and if you've got any questions, comments, I'm sure you can probably link in with Chris um, or you can connect with me at chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Always love to hear from you. Um, if you've got any feedback, I'd love to hear that too. And um, take care, everybody. And uh, go have a way to think about how you can be philanthropical in, in any way possible. You don't need a, a lot of kindness you can start off with. Um, but if you've got lots of money, it can um, you can be generous and uh, you can leave a, a positive impact that way. So go away and have a think about it. Take care, everybody. Thank you. We thank you for listening to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more.